Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. I'm doing my best to not make this opening about Kodak Black, but it's really hard to not make this opening about Kodak Black. On an episode where we should be talking about anything from Nicholas Littstrom returning to the Red Wings to the ever-growing dumpster fire in Edmonton to Evander Kane to even the hockey games, the one thing my non-hockey friends have texted me about over the past 24 hours is (laughs) Kodak Black at the Florida Panthers games. (laughs) I hope the Department of Player Safety does a video on it. <laughs> I swear to God, I would donate to the NHL. I wouldn't even ask for merchandise or anything in return if they made a Department of Player Safety video, like a satirical. This vi- is not a hockey play. Yeah. <laughs> Suspended him for like five future Florida Panthers games. Oh, my God. That would be that is the world's easiest marketing layup. That would be incredible. So it's definitely not happening. Oh, no, absolutely not. Well, no, it would be the video explaining why they didn't suspend him. Yeah, they, uh, as per this alternate angle, it looks like there was, uh, though the act was um, being mimicked, it did not actually occur. <laughs> uh, you know, on this first camera angle, we can see what appears to be um, the offense. But then when we have this camera angle, we can see, in fact, it wasn't. There was no contact was made, but it was legal, though unsavory. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, thank God for that second camera angle. Yeah, depends who you ask. Anyhow. Well, uh, it saved, you know, a lot of people. Probably some jobs. (laughs) (laughs) Not that for the like second or third time that day, I looked at my phone and went, that's not the headline I was expecting to read today. (laughs) What, that someone was at a Panthers game? <laughs> Literally a dozen of us are outraged. <laughs> so, someone, the, the video was from across the ice, obviously, right? And someone in the Twitter comments was like, uh, why is it so blurry? And someone was like, did you want this in 4K, my man? Like, what, yeah, <laughs> what did you seriously, want Seriously, blurry's good enough. Yeah. They got the second camera angle. What more do they want? <laughs> Live testimony, like a director's cut with Kodak Black. We have the director's video. He was beside (laughs) Kodak Black when it happened. All right. Well, um, that'll go down in one of our stranger intros in the history of the show. Welcome to the Wind Wheel Podcast. Here to talk more more than anything not about Kodak Black. I'm Ryan Hanna. And I'm Evan. And I'm Evan. (laughs) (laughs) You got him there for a second. It's okay. Hey, whoa. (laughs) Um, on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we'll, of course, be talking about Nicholas Lidstrom uh, returning to the Detroit Red Wings. I was almost going to say returning home, but he's not technically. We'll get into that. Uh, we'll be talking about the Red Wings concluding their West Coast wo- West Coast road trip. I almost said roast trip, which is... Also fits. Also fits. Um, and we'll have news from across the NHL, everything from Ken Holland to Evander Kane to, uh, if we have time for it, Bobby Clark. Had some words, which were funny. Uh, and then we'll get into overtime. Uh, but before we do that, I do want to talk to everyone about uh, the Wings Money on the Board campaign. So we did a special event uh, similar to the Winged Wheel Podcast Night Fundraiser where 
We said this is like the Wings Money on the Board season long campaign, but instead just surrounding one game. So people made pledges based on the San Jose game. Um, and this came about because we had an anonymous donor say they would match uh, approximately a grand, the first grand donated, and then their company would also toss in another grand, which was incredibly generous of them. And, you know, it, it came out last minute, and that's why we put this together last minute, which is why we didn't have time to lead up to it. And then Prashant Iyer, who works with us on the Wings Money on the Board campaign, also put forward uh, another $1,000 match very generously. And then there was another uh, company, $1,000 on top of that. So with the donations that you all raised on in the span of like 36 hours from pledges from the game, we have raised another $5,000 for the Jamie Daniels Foundation through Wings Money on the Board. So that brings our total on the year just through the two special events to over $10,000 for the Jamie Daniels Foundation. So crazy. in like our goal for the year was let's see if we can reach 20 grand. We haven't even gotten to the season long pledges yet. So you're all incredible. If you would like to um, still make a donation for the, the this initial matching and uh, for that one-off game, we'll still let you do so up until Thursday at noon, justgiving.com slash wings money on the board. So again, that's justgiving.com slash wings money on the board. And if you want to know about uh, how to get in on the wings money on the board campaign, the season long one. Uh, and how to make your pledge and cheer on Red Wings hockey and uh, donate to a good cause while doing it, go to wingedwheelpodcast.com slash blog. So uh, thank you all so much. The foundation thanks you, and we're really excited to keep this thing going. All right. I told this story on Twitter. Evan's going to yell at me for reading out my own tweets on air, but I, I think it bears repeating. Years ago, when I was in school and I was taking a bus like a greyhound. I think we were going to Toronto for the weekend for some unholy reason. And... Um, this old guy walked up to me because I had a Red Wings hat on and he said he knew his stuff. Like, I, I don't think he was just like some random person who's off the rocker that's usually hanging out downtown. Like he knew his stuff. He was talking about like scouting and people he knew and it all added up. And then he said, you're a Red Wings fan. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, from the day Nicholas Lidstrom retired, I said, now that he's gone from that team, they are not winning another cup. And that man was Gordy Howe. <laughs> it was actually Nicholas Lidstrom in, uh, in a mask. Uh, and I just really hope that guy's doing well today and he's around and I, I would like to run into him so I can shove him over and say, Nick's back, baby. <laughs> it's time. No, Nicholas Lidstrom uh, has returned to the Detroit Red Wings uh, as VP of Hockey Ops, which is a uh, general title. And uh, it means he's going to be doing a lot of everything. My shock and my awe, like, it took my words from me. I was not expecting that at all. I think you said, Evan, that was the timing and the news was incredibly, like, out of left field. But, hey, Nick's back. Nothing like a random Tuesday afternoon news dump of positive information as opposed to the Friday at 5 p.m. of negative information. <laughs> Imagine your first job you ever get, because being a pro athlete, you know, doesn't really count. Right. Um, is you're a vice president of a company. <laughs> like, yeah, what'd you do? I, uh, I delivered papers when I was younger, then I played in the NHL, and then, yeah, I was a vice president. <laughs> <laughs> he wrote a book. Okay. Author as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, it helps, right? Like, I don't think there's a real-world analog. I, I do agree, yeah. his the, Being a pro player definitely doesn't count at all. The millions help. 
the millions of dollars definitely help. And like the goodwill you've probably built up in the city and <laughs> within the organization itself. Yeah, that helps for yeah. sure. And the incredible joy that you've probably brought yourself into millions of people who've watched you. But other than that. But I mean, it's just funny that your your first like kind of real job is you're now a vice president of yeah. a company or whatever organization. All right. So initial thoughts on Eisenman bringing Litstrom back into the fold. Emotional, objective, I don't care which direction you're taking, you're taking because... Every, all Red Wings fans are feeling all of that on every level. Well, emotional, it was absolute unbridled happiness and uh, excitement, at least until the game against the Sharks started. Um, but like, there's no other way to feel. It was one of the greatest Red Wings of all time is back to help run the team. feel like we've heard that one before. I mm-hmm. uh, feel like that last time that happened, it went pretty well. Yeah, Pat Verbeek. Exactly. <laughs> so... Obviously, that was exciting. And then the next thought was, well, what does a vice president of hockey ops do? So off to Google, I went, didn't really get a straight answer. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So what I gather is the Red Wings said that they are going to involve him in every major decision and operation, et cetera, et cetera. So they are paying Nick Lidstrom to have access to his brain. Yeah. That's... That sounds like a joke, but I legitimately think that's what it is. One of the smartest hockey players of all time is being hired to basically be a a thinker for the team. Just, okay, we're thinking about doing this. Nick, thoughts. All right, we're thinking about drafting this kid. Nick, thoughts. All right, we're thinking about doing this with the coaching staff. Nick, thoughts. All right, we're thinking about this free agent. Nick, thoughts. That That's going to basically be his job from what I gather. Um, I got a question from Arjun, actually. He messaged me when this was all going down. He's like, what does a VP of hockey ops do? Is it like the Zamboni drivers? He's like, I like to think all the Zamboni drivers report into him. And I'm like, very funny, but no, it's the arena DJs as well. Um, but in general, people do have that question. And you're right, Brad, there is no definition to it. The NHL and actually professional sports in general, for people who aren't terribly familiar, there's no prescribed structure that you have to adhere to. You're going to find some teams with the president of hockey operations. You're going to find some teams that don't have one. Some teams have a president of hockey ops who's purely like ribbon cutting. You show face, you'll talk at the press conferences, but the real meat and potatoes is run by the GM. And some teams, the president of hockey ops makes all the calls, hides in a back room, doesn't show his face at all. And the GM just executes and is the one talking to the media. There's a million different things that you can do. No one got shoved out for this to happen. They just created a new VP of hockey ops role for him for Lidstrom and you have that freedom. And I completely agree. The Nicholas Lidstrom has, he's one of, he's not one of the greatest players in Red Wings history. He's one of the greatest players in NHL history. Top two minimum defenseman of all time. In our humble opinions. was one of the smartest players to ever step on the ice. He was involved in scouting in Sweden a little bit right after he retired. Obviously, he stays connected with Cronwall and Holmstrom to some capacity as well. And uh, I was reading actually Max's piece. Max wrote uh, a really good piece very soon after it came out. (laughs) So bless Max and his typing fingers for doing this. All this after like the he's wrapping up a long West Coast road trip with I know a lot of flights and and travel between. Um, But what Max wrote was that it essentially boils down to Lidstrom watching a shit ton of hockey. Watch the prospects, watch the games. You know, what about moving this kid over here? What do you know about this league? Again, Brad, I think the coaching and the structure of the organization is a big one as well. 
this is an, an emotional thing for fans. Uh, we grew up, a lot of us grew up on the Eisman, Lidstrom, Fedorov, Larionov, that era of Red Wings who raised those cups. But from an objective level, this can't be anything but a positive. Is it going to translate to wins tomorrow? No. But didn't translate to a win that night. No. <laughs> <laughs> the think of all the good that bringing Nicholas Lidstrom. Oh, you meathead, you turn the table off. You're I not going to. No, you're not going to be able to do it. The pins are too. Yeah, you're, this is going to be a disaster. Anyways, um, <laughs> think of all the good that bringing uh, Nick Cronwall. Oh, my God. You have. St- oh, yeah, it worked. It was you're st- welcome. <laughs> Thank you. I was wrong for ever doubting you. <laughs> I'm sorry. And you're welcome. Um, for those not watching on YouTube. Well, go watch on YouTube. Um, Nick or bringing Nick Cronwall into the fold and having him oversee uh, defensive prospects or prospects over in, in Europe and Sweden has paid dividends already. So it's been, it's an exciting time and it's exciting, not just for happy. This is familiar reasons. I think obviously in roles like this, you have all the time in the world. So I do think they will involve Lidstrom in individual decisions. Like, Hey, who do we like in the draft? Hey, what should we do with Zadina? Hey, what do you think about Sider's game? But I think where they probably, I'm not going to say this is what they're thinking, but what I think they should really lean on Nick for is more so the macro philosophy type decisions. What type of hockey team is going to win in the current way the game is played? Just ask Ken Holland. Score more, get scored on less. Exactly. Just did it for free. You're welcome, Red. Not wrong. But yeah, no, in terms of systematically, what type of players you need, roster construction, that that type of thing, I I think that's where Nick's going to bring a lot of value because A, He's just a smart guy. He's a smart hockey guy. He knows this stuff, but he's been there, done that through multiple eras of the NHL because when he won his first cup in 97 to when he won his last cup in 2008, the NHL was a very different landscape, a very different game, very different everything. Um, so whatever way the NHL tends to be trending, he's got the experience of been there, done that, won that cup. So... I think that's where he will have a lot of value going forward. The best part of the whole press conference, though, was Nick was just saying his thing and saying, I'm very happy to be joining uh, this team, no, this organization. And and Steve Eisman said what uh, everyone was thinking. I'll play it for you. I, I thought it was good timing for me, for my family to uh, to join the Wings again. So I, I'm really excited to when I have the, this opportunity to to join the team again and or the organization again, I should say. We can do the team thing too if you want to talk about that. <laughs> is a Lidstrom cider pairing L- Lidstrom at fifty one years old? Is that a top top fifteen pairing in the NHL today? <laughs> it's definitely an upgrade on what they've been deploying. <laughs> it's it's a funny joke. I actually genuinely believe Nick has the chops to get out there and do something. Um, he looks exactly the same the day he retired. Well. When they make them in labs, they don't make them to age. Fair. That's a Swedish thing, I think. Yeah. Um, he's very, I love, even when we interviewed Nick a while back, it's very, he's very matter of fact. Like there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of fluff when he talks. No. Um, be a terrible podcaster. No. Yeah. He could, uh, <laughs> he would have to interview. It'd be five minute episodes. <laughs> but it would be concise and the information would be incredibly valuable. Be very dense. Yeah. yeah. If he went for a full hour, he'd probably have solved all the Red Wings problems 10 minutes in and solved world hunger by the end of it. Yeah, world hunger by halfway through the season for sure. (laughs) 
No, it's it, you can see the excitement, and Eisenman spoke spoke pretty, you know, for, relative to Eisenman, he spoke pretty emphatically when he said this was an easy decision. Of course, I was going to do it. You you believe him at face value there because, like you both said, it, it's it's just too easy of a decision to bring in that much knowledge and that much talent. Who knows? Like you don't know what his impact is going to be behind the scenes. We have virtually no access to what what the world of hockey management looks like. So we can't sit here and say, yeah, on this day, he'll be focusing on this. And he's, even Eisenman and Lidstrom both said, like, he's going to try a little bit of everything and see what sticks and what he likes to do. And this is just as much for the benefit of Lidstrom as it is for the Red Wings, right? Like, if Lidstrom wants a career in hockey management, he's going to have to choose what he likes and find what, you know, brings him fulfillment and what he actually has an aptitude with. Um you have to imagine Draper will be interviewed for GM roles someday. You have to imagine Ver- Verbeek is going to get poached someday. Like these guys aren't all going to stay in the Red Wing system forever. So much the same, Lidstrom wants to feel out what this world is like and what he can do. You have to keep a deep bench in both your hockey team and your organization. Absolutely do. I don't think there's such thing. Well, they're halfway there. <laughs> I don't like there is. Sorry, there is such thing as too many cooks. But you know, the Red Wings are re like a rebuilding team in more than one way. And when Ken Holland and his brain trust left, you can't just reset an organization overnight. I do find it funny that we spend all this time talking about like, you're just recycling the same names and faces and old hockey men. You need to bring in fresh minds and different perspectives and us, the same podcast, like over the moon, ripping our shirts off, celebrating, swinging them over our head because one of our favorite players from when we grew up has rejoined the Red Wings in a management role. Well, it's not like he's really done this yeah. in a management capacity before. What are you talking about recycling? Like Evan said, this is his first job. <laughs> I know what you're saying, though. Like, <laughs> ex-former yeah. Hall of Famer rejoins the team that they had success with. But at least this isn't the fourth-line fighter who is now... It's, again, one of the smartest, if not the smartest hockey players of all time. Fourth liners, like grinders are often pretty successful, I find, in the, in coaching and management. You'd be surprised how often that happens. Yes, but they fail as much as they succeed. For every story you have of a Craig Berube absolutely nailing it as a coach, there's just as many going the other way. I thought you were going to say yeah, that. Yeah, wow. put them in charge of the Department of Player Safety. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Well, there's a problem where you recycle management in terms of your Edmonton, for example. They just keep the same people around forever. Or they just keep bringing in all the old old hockey boys. They're the Eric Andre meme of him shooting himself. Yes, exactly. But at least this is like they're bringing someone new in with new thoughts who hasn't done this or been in the business for a thousand years. For people who are watching back when this happened, remember when Jonathan Erickson joined the Red Wings? And he had that playoff. The Red Wings had that playoff run that year. And he played uh, on Lidstrom's pairing. And a lot of people, myself included, thought Erickson was going to be something not special like Lidstrom, but a really, really good defenseman. Think of how many defensemen Nicholas Lidstrom elevated over his career, not just by virtue of being a good defenseman and good players beget good players. That's, of course, true. But he was such a smart defenseman, and he just maximized the talent of his teammates time in and time out. Like uh, Brian Rafalski, he played with Stewart for a while, right? Mm-hmm. Did Litzerman and Stewart play together? I don't think it was for long, but yeah. Um, oh, well, Rafalski is like the hallmark of that. And Rafalski was, is a, was 
isn't was a great defenseman even before Lidstrom, but those two did work. Um, it was just so obvious how much better he made everyone around him. It's very much like Sidney Crosby. People talk about Crosby and he makes everyone around him better. And if that translates to Nicholas Lidstrom, who says he's going to be taking a focus on the defense and improving the defense and building out the defense, that means big things for Detroit. At the very least, we have something to feel good about here. And in all reality, this is going to benefit the team in a developmental way down the line. And it might be hard to kind of evaluate that, and we could never. So you'll just have to listen to three meatheads on a podcast, take their best guess. But nothing but a good thing for the Red Wings in my mind. Am I biased? Yeah, but I don't care. There's a, this hiring's worth it just to have Lidstrom and uh, Edmondson Insider's ear for the next however long. <laughs> Genuinely, though. There's any time. It's now. And that th- that kind of thing matters. It's not easy to st- it's not easy to to move however many thousand mile- thousands of miles away from home, play in a brand new country for a brand new team in a brand new league, the hardest league to play in in the world. You have all these expectations on you. Very obviously, that didn't bother Cider, but he still has a whole career ahead of him. And Edvinson also has a lot of expectations. There's a lot on his shoulders. So yeah, like hey, here's what you should do on this player. Here's how you use your positioning rather than your physicality or what have you. And, you know, do this to work on your shot. That stuff all matters. But also just like being a mentor and a coach for these kids, that counts. All this should be said, uh, Lidstrom is staying in Sweden. So they mentioned like for, I don't know how long, or if he's never going to come and move to Detroit, it doesn't really matter. He's going to take on this role from Sweden. So what a gig. Right, gig. Like you can stay where you are. You know, you can figure out what you want to do in this job. <laughs> it's all good. We're we're literally just paying you to answer the phone when we call. <laughs> what a job. He um, he does. Uh, he has the work from home role we've always we've all dreamed of. Because work from home gets hard for some people. First of all, I think people who still have to go in every day, like all the respect and, and work from home is not easy for people as well, depending on the, your role, but he has the best of work from home and the best of a new job and the best of like no expectations, it's literally the greatest job of all time. And he's earned it. He's earned it. Oh yeah. Do you get the nickname, the perfect human with your time on the ice? You've earned the gig as well. Pretty cool job. Eisenman, um, Eisenman's belief system on how to build a team. He's not ever going to like, dictate out to the public what he thinks exactly a a cup winning team should be but he has his kind of archetypes and his tendencies and he really does believe in a rock solid blue line like i don't want to say he builds from the blue line out it's easy to say that when you have kucherov and point and stamkos and everyone else but really that blue line in tampa bay was kind of one of the hallmarks of eisenman's drafting and building the team so he valued Nick's opinion, obviously, when they were playing. Nick was his successor when he was captain. You, you have to think he's going to go to Nick for all things defense, too. Like, bodes, uh, bodes well and inspires confidence. Um, there was more on the press conference. Obviously, there's anytime you get a chance to talk to Steve Eisman, you have to take advantage of it. Some more questions came up there. Um, much of the same. Like, I think you said they were going to be patient at the trade deadline, which is... Yeah, the answer I expected to hear. You can't have imagined he would say more than that. I think just because, first of all, I think that question was framed from a, um, are you going to go out and try to buy someone? Like, I think that was stemming from Frege's question where he was like, this rebuild is accelerated. What's the timeline like, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think he was just answering from that point of view, which I think is 
cheeky from Eiserman because everyone already knows the answer to that and we all know we don't care. We no one thinks the Red Wings are going to go out and buy. It's are you going to sell everyone that you can? So we have absolutely no new information on that front. Welcome to Steve Eisman, folks. Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts on um, Lidstrom? Who's next? Larionov. Larionov. Fedorov. I, I want a four on three OT. Let's get Fedorov over here. <laughs> it's funny because I posted the picture of uh, the turtleneck picture of Eisman, um, Lidstrom, and Shaney. And it was purely subjective for me to say Shaney come home. And I know a lot of people aren't big on him. And uh, he's kind of polarizing, so I can understand that. I th- one, it's funny because of the picture. And two, my heart is still broken that he's in Toronto. <laughs> Don't watch uh, All or Nothing then. He's in it quite a bit. He's he, he likes it there? It appears so, yeah. Yeah. It's also like you don't just bring back all your old favorite players, right? Like it doesn't work that way. No. Just the ones that they already brought back. That's all. Those are the right ones and anyone else that they're not bringing back are the wrong ones. Um, okay. The Red Wings played two games. They had the rescheduled game against Anaheim. And then they also had last night's loss against San Jose. Neither of them were quite as bad as the LA Kings stinker, but all in all, they walked away from that entire West Coast road trip with two of six points, both of them coming in um, losses beyond regulation. So a shootout against Anaheim and an OT loss against San Jose. I really hope someone gave Alex Ndokovic a hug this morning. Yeah. He needs it. He was in for the San Jose and the LA game. The game were against the late where they got outshot a billion two, and then last night where they got outshot forty something to nineteen. The Detroit Red Wings as a team hate Alex and and you can't convince me otherwise. <laughs> the Red Wings have hired Jimmy <laughs> Jimmy Howard as a special advisor to the goaltending. <laughs> Coincidentally, he just completed his uh, phys- uh, psychotherapy yeah. doctorate. It's funny because uh, the OT goal that went in wasn't, it was just one of those fluky things and it realistically probably should have been saved, but it was just one of those mad dashes and everyone, everyone's sticks and gloves and hands and skates are in there. So kind of is what it is, but in all, yeah, the Anaheim game was better. Like um, Anaheim didn't play great, but Detroit definitely carried most of the play that game, which was. Nice to see after the bounce back against the lake is um, I think we were talking about that when you get absolutely smoked like that, you, you can't just wither and die the next game. And I don't think it was a particularly shining effort from Detroit, but they were the better of the two teams. Mm-hmm. So mission accomplished. Take that 10 out of 10 times. Um, they had a couple of defensive lapses, ended up in their net, lost in a shootout. Shit happens like games like that happen a million times a year and it sucks when it happens, but whatever. So then you would hope they would continue the, you know, trend upwards. And then they walked into San Jose and laid in another absolute stinker. So this is becoming a little too commonplace. And it's the same problems rearing their ugly head. Because again, 19 shots on net against the San Jose Sharks, a team they absolutely blew out a week or two ago. Mm -hmm. That game doesn't feel that long ago. And um, generated basically nothing. And again, was dragged to overtime kicking and screaming by Alex Ndelkovic. Um, It should be noted that Larkin didn't play 
last night. Which is fair. Um, I generally agree. I thought the Anaheim game, you saw a lot more of what was not a perfect game from the Red Wings, but you know, for a road trip and coming off a pretty bad game, you saw a little bit more of acceptable play. You saw them have the, their spurts. They controlled play for, for good chunks of time that you can appreciate. It's just not the, the way the game shook out. Um, I don't think Grice, that was his best game. No. I think the Zegers one-timer was savable. Um, and I think the shootout was bad. Even the one save he made looked like an accidental save. I have it a, was a shot five hole that he saved with his feet. I've never seen that in the modern NHL. <laughs> I have a hard time holding um I have a hard time holding shootouts against goalies because it's gotta be just like the worst situation for them to be in. Like, hey, here's a sanctioned free breakaway where the player had time to think about what they're going to do and you essentially just have to take it as you would on the ice like it's it's a tough position to be in and they're going to be exposed more often than you ever see them remember like jimmy howard would be playing great hockey one year and he would be in an absolute dumpster fire in the shootout um doesn't robin laner hasn't he never won one or something like that yeah he's like notoriously bad in shootouts i think he went a full season without actually making a save in one (laughs) or pretty close to it he like he memes about it on Twitter. Like, yeah, people reply to him on Twitter. He's like, "You still suck in shootouts." He's like, "Yeah, I know." <laughs> it is what it is. I thought cider, obviously cider again, uh, looked good. I think uh, it was the the game on the ninth, and that was the Anaheim game. Raymond had his best game in a while. That, that was definitely his best game in a while. Um, everywhere. Yeah, and he was making plays happen. And Larkin was out, I think, most of that game because that was the game he got hurt. I think he only played the first period. So it was good to see that Raymond was able to carry play like that without Larkin, Mm -hmm. which I thought was um, important for him. Um, Didn't really happen against San Jose, but again, you can only expect so much out of a 19-year-old rookie. But uh, yeah, him and Satter went toe-to-toe with Zegras, and they all canceled each other out. So, you know, good game. That's the point. Zegers is wicked, man. Oh, he's so good. That kid's good. He is so good. It's like, uh, and it's not like, oh, better than, it, this has nothing to do with Raymond or Cider. Like, Zegers is just fun to watch. I had to laugh. I'm like, this is how you know they're in, this was my moment of, this is why Raymond should win the Calder over Zegers is, I think it was Anaheim's second or third goal, where Zegers tried this really fancy move on Cider, but Cider snuffed it out. But then his teammate came in, picked up the puck, and made the pass cross crease for the goal. And I'm like, that would never happen to Raymond. No. <laughs> no he is not getting that much help. <laughs> uh, that line, the Raymond-Larkin-Bertuzzi line right now, I mean, it obviously got disrupted by Larkin's injury. And I don't really found – I haven't really found that they've regained their form since the injuries and, like, the missing games and stuff start to happen. They've been inconsistent. But at home, they have been. It's this. They are getting – unfavorable matchups on the road and they're getting favorable matchups at home and you know they're able to cancel out their matchups on the road and they're winning their matchups at home and you know that's probably the biggest reason for the home road split uh and then the red wings faced off against um the san jose sharks and best player at five on five timo meyer was it yeah he's the best all all around player (laughs) in the world uh i think gun to your head Fantasy hockey, you have first overall pick. Do you take Connor McDavid or Timo Meyer? <laughs> Timo Meyer, absolutely. I think ESPN does a good production. No, they don't. No, no. <laughs> I think their overall production is good. 
I, I understand it's new commentary and I understand they're just starting out, but it's been two games in a row where it's like, speaking of first time having a job, (laughs) (laughs) Mason Raymond, uh, the San Ho Sharks actually made me laugh. Wait, that wasn't there wasn't there a Mort Suter? Something well? like that. Yeah. yeah. It's what else? I think Darren McCartney made his appearance at some point. Uh Gustav Lidstrom had a lot of good plays that game. Again, I don't like beating I I, I don't If like, it happens once or twice. Listen, perfect, I would perfectly be, understand it. I would be the worst play-by-play person ever, oh, ever be because terrible. I can't even say the things that I've thought in my brain for 5 minutes. You are so much more eloquent off air. Like you freeze, and I, I I understand completely what you mean. And I just all of a sudden have a marble mouth and can't say anything. So I, you know what, going on live TV and having to do that is definitely terrifying, and I'm, it obviously takes time to really hone. But my God, was there no, no, <laughs> the, was there nobody else? <laughs> the time is being took. Yeah, <laughs> we're learning on the fly. We're putting on the tracks as we're going over them. It. Um, I'll end this on I, I sincerely, sincerely didn't think I could appreciate Ken and Mick any more than I already do, but boy, do I ever. Man, the the ones who are the best make it like... We're spoiled. S- yeah, it's just so easy to listen to and it seems so natural. Yeah. Well, I hope they get better because uh, we're going to have them for... Yeah, I'm not rooting against them. I'm sure they're good people. and I'm They sure- have the contract for a long time. So like Ryan said, we got to deal with them. So I... I'm hoping that this is just, you know, getting used to it, getting the practice in, working out the kinks, but uh, rough start. And nothing's worse than like, you know, you messed up and then like you hear about it online. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Everybody's hard Don't on you. Don't know so, what that feels like. Yeah, <laughs> definitely not. Brad, you're the- Completely you're the, uncharted territory. You've never fought any Twitter battles in your life. <laughs> not one. Never, never once looked at my replies. Um, so I, I do feel for him because- I'm sure that they're they are kept up at night when they think about all the mistakes that they made in one game or someone points out one that they didn't even know they said. Like it's it's a tough go, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Just delete social media. That's that's truly. Brad, you've never picked a social media battle in your well, life. Well, yeah. <laughs> Did you like my response to that one text you sent me yesterday? Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, the uh the Red Wings opened up um, by tying the game. Or sorry, they didn't open up. They they opened up by going into the first period with the deficit. Tyler Bertuzzi um, redirected a perfect pass from Philip Peronik into the net. Mort Sider got the secondary assist there. Nick Letty scored a bizarre floater. Like, just really weird. Um, the shot shouldn't have gone in. It beat Aiden Hill. Do you think? We probably don't have the camera angle of it. But do you think when that shot went in, Philip Lucina snapped his stick on the bench? <laughs> God damn it. He chokes on his water. Yeah. yeah. It's like Big Daddy. You give him all the easy ones. <laughs> yeah, that was Nick Letty's uh, first goal of the year. And more importantly, first goal is the D- Detroit Red Wing. So, hey, for people like Nick Letty, obviously, it's a long time into the season. With, without any goals and that's how they have to come and that's how Phil Zadina has to shoot as well just everything and anything at the net until one goes in yeah, you were mentioning it Phil Zadina is a broken man right now he is just not shooting because he knows it's not going in here's the thing and I don't after that overtime shift against Anaheim where was it him Suter and Cider mm. for like a minute to a minute and a half were absolutely dominant and had like Five scoring chances. None of them went in. Philip Zadina 
was stopped on one, hit the side of the net on the other, hit the outside of the post on the other. I'm like, yeah, he, those are the last shots he's ever taken in the NHL. He is passing at every opportunity now. And the thing is with that overtime possession, this is, uh, like you said, back to the Anaheim game. I'm glad you brought it up. It was good, right? Like, it was good possession, but possession in three-on-three overtime isn't inherently hard. They just, it seemed like they stopped short of doing anything with it. They didn't make any, they didn't create You're talking about any, the Red Wings as a whole or that line? That No, 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 that, that overtime shift. They had a whole, lot of chances. They shot the puck okay, a bunch. They did, and that was good. I'm not, I'm not saying they did a terrible job, but I think they had the skill to... You know, open up more seams, create more space, get more movement from the goalie in the defense. I, it's easy to collapse when you're you're defending a three on three, and that's what they did. They just mucked up all the high danger areas, and that's good strategy by Anaheim. They still, but Suter had one, and Zadina had one that Rip were the post. They were high danger chances. Like those are ones that uh, any confidence in Zadina's game, and that's in. I saw. But I'm well past the point of assuming those go in. I saw things from Zadina's game that I liked in the Anaheim game and to a degree in the San Jose game. And I saw a lot of things also where I was like, man, this isn't him. What is he doing? The San Jose game was him. Like I was kind of joking about saying, yeah, I'm done shooting the puck. Like it's just not going in. You, you were talking before we recorded about the two on two he had with cider Mm -hmm. where he got the pass and just double clutched it. And it was a turnover. Whereas that is a two on one 99 out of a hundred times for Zadina. I, 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 in that same conversation I was mentioning, this was a play I knew Zadina was broken where, not that this is news to any of us, where he was on the in his spot on the power play. Sider gave him a pretty basic pass, but the San Jose uh, penalty killer overcommitted to Zadina, and Zadina really deftly, instead of hard catching the pass or one-timing it, kind of caught it in motion and, and used the momentum of the puck and his body angle to actually very smoothly step around the penalty killer and open up a lot of space for him. He was kind of on a bad angle. I want to say he was just below the dot, but when you're in a slump, that's a shot you take a hundred out of a hundred times, especially when you're a talented shooter like Zadina used to be. Um, And he tried forcing a pass that wasn't there. That was like, that was, if I could just encapsulate, encapsulate Zadina's whole season, it was that. And it's like, like, made a beautiful play and then just, Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. And like he'll spring Giovanni Smith for a break where it's like part of it was there wasn't a lot of puck control and part of it was that it was Giovanni Smith and not like Dylan Larkin receiving it. Yeah. And that didn't convert. And then it's like, yeah, he's afraid to make mistakes. So he's making mistakes. And anyone who's played hockey has been there. I was uh, I was very much a player who's in my own head. um, And I, I was there quite a bit, like just so afraid you're not even you're not even trying to like you're not even at the point where you're like I need to do this to make myself better. You're out there and you're like I just need to do what is expected of me tonight and that's making me anxious. Dude, that literally happened to me this season. Like I got off to a really rough start this season. Yeah. I had 3 points in my first 9 games and then I had a couple go in and then I finished with 5 and 4 before the shutdown. So it's like so Brad We need Zadina to do the same thing and hey, we both were number 11. Just Brad equals Zadina. You've heard it here first. Here we go. That, the math adds up. That I'm explains a, the hate Zadina gets online. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, honestly, poor guy. But no, like it, you're exactly right. He just needs that shitty one to fall, that accidental primary assist, that Nick Letty type goal where it's just like of all his shots, that's the one that goes in or whatever. And then you get a little bit of confidence in the floodgates come back because we've seen Zadina do this at the NHL level. It's not like, oh, he was a talented scorer 
in junior and it just didn't translate to the NHL because that happens mm-hmm. all the time. No, Zadina's rookie year, he was a half a point per game. It was fantastic. We were, I remember clearly that season more than often than not, we were coming out of a Red Wings game going, Zadina was the best player that night. Yeah. As a rookie. And then last season was not really a step backwards. It was pretty much on par with what his rookie year was. And then this season's just been a nightmare. It's There's only so much we can beat this discussion until something changes, whether it's something falling into place. I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's not a unique thing. Like it's, it's happened across the NHL. It's Larkin's sophomore season. Yeah. Right. Like it's not. Anyhow, if you want to know more about the Zadina discussion, listen to any one of our past 45 episodes. Yeah. No kidding. Um, that is what it is. I, I agree. I think it won't solve everything. But it'll sure feel nice when one of those falls in in for him, when he gets one of those Nicoletti goals. Yeah. All right. uh, Before we move forward, I want to talk to everyone about this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast being sponsored by the FanDuel Sportsbook. Uh, There are so many reasons why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. They're simple to use. They're a ton of fun with unique bet types. And when you win, you'll get your winnings uh, safely back to you in as little as 24 hours. Uh, It's easy to register, easy to deposit, and easy to find your bet. Again, the withdrawals are quick. And every day, there are some odds boosts or special bets, uh, especially on the weekends. Now, listen to this. FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. No strings attached. If you win, you keep the cash. And if you lose, you get up to $1,000 back in site credit. Uh, what you what we want you to do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and get started with a risk-free bet of up to $1,000. Be sure, be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel podcast sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP. You must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITHIT in Indiana, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Virginia, Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789, 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. All right. They really need to stop putting Ken Holland in front of the mic. oh my oh he's not he's never been good at press conferences he's always on the defensive especially ever since 2015 (laughs) Um, so you think he'd be good at it by now yeah or at least have those like go-to answers ready to ready to be used he's gotten good at using a lot of words to say nothing some say he's a social media influencer Yeah, well, he's influencing a lot of social media activity. That's for sure. He should be a podcaster. Oh my god, I just realized he would fit in great with us. Maybe the Florida Panthers will invite him to one of their <laughs> hockey games. <laughs> okay, Nicholas Lidstrom to Edmonton, Ken Holland to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Everyone gets somewhat something that they need. No, I'm just kidding. Next, next days in Detroit slash Sweden, which is just Detroit Europe. But no, Ken Holland. <sighs> Another day in Edmonton. Uh, I forget what Oilers fan it was. Um, if, if anybody wants to check it, I think I quote tweeted it. Went on a Twitter spree of every major decision Ken Holland's made in the last 10 years. And we knew it was bad. You know but, what it is. Oh, my God. You don't like to see it written down. Yeah. It hurts so much more when there's no emotion attached to it and you just see the facts. I was not 
ready for everything. <laughs> it's like when you go out when you're like when you're young, you don't really have the money to be doing this, but you go out to the bar with your buddies and then you go to like a club and you go to another bar and you get food and you get drinks and you know you spent way too much money. This is like looking at your credit card bill and adding it up on a calculator in front of you a week later just to really see how much it hurt. Oh boy. We were clearly very abused and damaged. <laughs> We at the start of this podcast because we didn't know how much hurt we were absorbing because it just was a constant beat down. Mm-hmm. But now that yeah. we've had some time to uh, recover and become somewhat human again, yeah, kind of reading that all brings up some old, <laughs> some old scar tissue. <laughs> what, what's the saying? You can't see the forest through the trees. That was us in the middle of all these signings. We, uh, well, it can't get worse, can it? Boom, we, Stephen Weiss, five years. <laughs> we always had like the memes of Holland overpaying his aging mediocre vets. And we're like, oh, yeah, it definitely exists, but maybe it's overplayed. I, I don't think it was played enough reading back through it. It was the worst thing for me was the contracts that got signed and then the lack of games played post-contract signing. Was, was Mike Green the only big signing he made that actually played the entire contract out as a Red Wing? Or but like only, without being like he got traded, but still that was He might on. be the only person who played more than twenty five games before they had to retire. Like Weiss was bought out, Abdul Kader was bought out, um Erickson. Nielsen was bought out. Erickson was in Grand Rapids by the end of it. Oh, Helm made it. Darren Helm, there you go. Elite. Um like it's one thing to sign a bad contract and the guy plays with the contract at probably less than the value. Like Holland batted below 500 on guys actually finishing the contract. Brad Richard. That was a one year that doesn't count. Uh. Todd Bertuzzi, two year, four million when he was 37 years old. Played 66 games, then retired. This is Euler's pain on on Twitter. Went through and compiled all this, and that's how you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you know it's getting rough over there. Look, Red Wings fans knew, but I think Red Wings fans, for the most part, were like, "Hey, it was a it was a complicated situation with Kenny, and things got heated towards the end from the fan base." But I think the euphoria, to put it lightly, of Steve Eisman coming home to Detroit really really cooled down the temperature on Holland and people, a lot of people were able to say it didn't go well in the final stages of your career here, but you did a lot for this team and you were here for a lot of cups and success. Good luck in Edmonton. They need it. And Red Wings fans didn't really do too much like rubbing in the face of Edmonton. Like, Hey, this is what you should be prepared for. And I think, I think if you were optimistic, it wasn't necessarily unfair because we did start to see him do some things in Detroit. The, trades he made once he embraced the rebuild which was too late which was way too late were were good you could argue it was just about the only good moves he made in the last 10 years but they were like the brendan smith trade fantastic the athanasio trade turned out to be great the tatar trade fantastic um like he, he was doing well in that department um and it was nice because we all like ken holland and you know before the last 10 years he, he was a good gym before that multiple cups etc we all know the story and it was nice because even though the fan base for the most part was absolutely done with him by the end the fact that eisman got hired before holland left meant that the feeling 
and, and euphoria is a good word, of Eisenman returning was the prominent feeling and not the feeling of, oh, thank God he's gone. We didn't have a lot of that because it was, hey, yeah, good luck, yeah. Kenny. We got Stevie, not like Vancouver this year when Benning went. The fan base wasn't happy about the next guy coming in. It was just like, oh, thank God that's over. Yeah. If we didn't have the Eisenman, the feeling very much probably would have been that. And then what's getting Edmonton fans right now is Kenny's went to Edmonton and making all the exact same mistakes, the same old guy, too much money, et cetera. It's happening again. And now we have the added treat of, you know, he's um, really trying to sign Evander Kane, who. Hey, I, you know what? On paper, that might actually be his best value deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If it goes through. Like the cold, hard facts about it would be, hey, Vander Kane is exactly what Edmonton needs from an on-ice standpoint. They need depth scoring. They can get him cheap and it costs them no assets. And Ken Holland said in his press conference, everybody deserves second chances. And I am very firmly with Ken Holland on that. Everybody does deserve second chances. I'll say almost everybody deserves second chances. I just think Kenny forgot how to count because this isn't number two for Evander Kane. This two is like seven, the, eighth, or ninth. Two to the power of Yeah, we're, we're working with orders of magnitude here. Yeah. Um, I'll describe it this way. Evander Kane, and an allegation or accusation does not a conviction make. Like I, We'll put that out there and it's worth saying. the There are five different unique items in controversy, controversies and legal issues on Evander Kane's wiki. That's it? <laughs> yeah, it's just that. Well, I mean, assault and harassment charges, uh, gambling oh, debts. Oh, they had and to lump yeah, together. Yeah, you, consolidate. And hey, look, I think I think it's a coin toss whether Evander Kane makes it back and sticks in the NHL. But just going back to Ken Holland here for a second, I knew it was reverted back the moment he signed Zach Cassian to a four-year, nearly $13 million oh, yeah. deal. And that was who he wanted to play with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl all the times on that top line, or most of the time, like I can't actually remember. For oh, don't worry, they all, Oilers Payne also listed his uh, Edmonton signings. I have them right here. Zach Cassian, four year deal, twelve or twelve point eight million. Um, Kyle Turris, two years, one point six five. Uh, traded a fourth and a fourth for two games of Mike Green. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, yeah, traded uh, two seconds for 13 games of Athanasiu. Thank you, Thank Kenny. You. <laughs> uh, Tyson Berry, three years at 13 and a half. Oof. Total, yeah. Um, Nurse, eight years, $74 million contract. I mean, traded Ethan Bear for um, Warren Vogel. <laughs> uh, traded Caleb Jones for Duncan Keith at no, a full cap hit. <laughs> yep, no salary retained. And that's about it. That's notable. I want, we've done this before. I want Edmonton to succeed just because I want to see Connor McDavid succeed. At this point, I don't know who's out first, Connor McDavid or Ken Holland. Like, it's it, the answer is if Connor, if you think Connor McDavid is going to leave, ownership steps in and he ditched Ken Holland. The coaching staff as well is probably before Ken Holland. I'm not saying there's no way Ken Holland has, has a path forward. And like we've said in the past, Ken Holland wasn't working with the blank slate. Yeah, he had he Leon Dryside on Connor McDavid. Yes, Steve Eisman had the advantage of time and patience, so he was able to tear down before he rebuilt. Ken Holland was on a tighter timeline because he had already wasted, like there was already wasted years of McDavid and Dryside. But you also have McDavid, McDavid and Dryside. 
You could have either gone full out buy now and trade everyone away to win cups or attempt to win them. Or he could have made some of the same signings Steve Eiserman did and try to get competent guys who would be elevated by playing with extremely talented players. But no. he, he decides to go after Duncan Keith, who I'm pretty sure plays on one leg. No, uh, Pugh Suter was absolutely too young for yeah. Holland to sign. Mortgage the shit. He's not Canadian at- enough. Yeah, mortgage the hell out of your futures. If you are a GM on a team that needs to win immediately and you have two, the best player on the planet and someone who is making a great conversation for being second best or around there. Yeah, I, like I think we talked about this a few weeks ago and it bears repeating. It's like, what do you do if you're an Oilers fan right now? Because if I have McDavid and Dreisaitl, I'm doing exactly what Pittsburgh does and I'm all in every year until those guys retire. But as the last 10 years have shown and as Oilers pain so eloquently typed out, the moves Ken Holland makes generally don't help your team. He's not good at evaluating talent at the NHL level anymore. He's just not. He'll go out and make a trade. He'll give up if he does give up a first round pick, which he said he wouldn't do because again, why would you be all in when you have two of the best players on the planet? He'll trade the first round pick for Ben Sherratt. Like he's not going to do anything good with it in all likelihood. And history has proven that. Um, he said he's not firing the coach midseason, which never make declarations like that. He said he's not giving up a first round pick this year or a top prospect. Again, don't make declarations like that because, you know, if Arizona comes along, hey, uh, Bouchard and Chick, Bouchard and a first for Chickren, like you, you have to say yes. <laughs> yeah um it, we haven't even talked about chicken being on the market yeah it's insane like this everything already, he's doing is wrong his moves already smell of desperation like a guy who's trying to keep his job or keep the team you know okay so he doesn't get fired but i was like well you just got here why are you making these terrible moves which makes me makes me believe it's more ingrained in edmonton than just at the GM level, like it clearly goes all the way to the absolute top. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's oh. too much rot. Tippett, Holland, Nicholson, they're all cut from the same cloth. They they all see eye to eye on all of this. So I think it's the opposite. I don't think Ken Holland's making moves because he's on the hot seat. I think Ken Holland's making these moves because he knows he's not. He knows he's got a long time to ride this out to see what he can do. And, you know, when you have that, yeah, it makes sense to I'm not selling the future this year. I don't think we have it this year. Okay, and quite honestly, I don't think they have it this year. So he's probably right to not sell futures this year. I mean, he's right to not do it because of the problem he created. But, you know, whatever. Uh, Don't make it worse, I guess. But same energy as Babcock going to Toronto, right, for the legacy. Like, you're going to take that team with that much talent and bring them to the cup. It's like, yeah, you're working with a wealth of talent, but you have to deliver. I don't think, like... Well, that's why Babcock got fired. That and the other shit, but yeah, he like. In all honesty, I say that the other shit, but you're right. Like, it's he was not delivering too many underwhelming performances, decisions that he made directly, which cost them like games. And literally, all your job is when your team is at that point is to be a motivator. Don't hold them back. That's literally all you have to do. All you have to do is go into the locker room and say things to get those players 
to maximize their their on ice ability. You That's have, literally all you have to do. You don't have to squeeze anything extra that a player otherwise couldn't do under any other coach. Just let them go. Make sure that they're playing their best game. That's all. That's literally all that. That's why he's a good, that's why you can, anyone can be an Olympic head coach for Canada. Yeah. Because all you got to do is say something stupid out about how everybody's watching this at home and you guys are living a historic moment and they go out, Connor McDavid goes out there and, yeah. and scores six goals. Like you don't have to do anything. Stand behind the bench and call the lines. Yeah. A- a- like it's happening, Edmonton. This was, we bitch about this in Detroit right now on a much smaller scale. Like you have two of the most exciting offensive players in the world and you go out and hire one of the most defensive minded coaches in the NHL. And again, you have Holland's ultra conservative style and he's trading for slower, older players that can't keep up with them. And it's everything that was happening in Detroit. It's happening in Edmonton now, just on a bigger scale because we didn't have Connor McDavid. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much it. There was a, Oh, I was going through that list again, and there was an, a few others that really caught my mind. Um, these are all combined. So he signed Jordan Tutu for three years, which I didn't think was terrible. Uh, Michael Samuelson, two years when he was 35 years and older. Uh, Carlo Koliakovo for oh, two yeah. years. We got the greatest gift in NHL history um, from Carlo Koliakovo. But that uh, was when he was on St. Louis. That's after right. After they yeah. signed, uh, Samuelson played 30 more games in the NHL in total, and Tutu and Koliakovo got bought out. Like, I wasn't kidding when I said Ken Holland did not make it, fifth, did not bat 500 on his players even making it to the end of their contract outside of one-year deals. <laughs> We had to do so much hedging when we started this podcast. We couldn't like because like half the half our listeners were like Ken Holland, like don't you dare speak a bad word. And we're like, okay, okay, okay. Well, sorry, we'll scale it back. And it wasn't even like ripping on Ken Holland. It was like, hey, things aren't really primed. Like we're not exactly making cup runs anymore, and we're not primed to like restock quickly. I think the also the narrative was like, oh, we're trying trying to keep the streak alive for the Illiches, blah blah blah. Like the outside external well, internal external forces. Yeah. And like, hey, there's merit to that, I'm sure. Owners can do whatever the hell they want with their team. Oh, yeah. At the end of the day, if they don't care about winning, and it's just a thing, a a play thing that they've got, whatever. Now we have Montreal to thank for the next five ownership groups or GMs that push their teams into like bubble contention when they honestly should just like reload. Yep. Hmm. Anyhow. Why don't we jump into overtime? That was a lot of words to relive some bad memories. It was. Yeah, we're uh, masochists. Yeah, we really hate uh, hate ourselves some days. Hey, at, days. Least, at least we're not Ron Hextall today. <laughs> <laughs> what is it that he said? Um, that Hexy made a lot of decisions to damage the Flyers. All of our scouts wanted to draft Kale McCarr, but Hexy was dead set on Nolan Patrick. Um, there was a couple other draft picks where the same thing basically happened, but they didn't name names on those ones. Like Bobby Clark saying all this, by the way. Yeah, Bobby Clark just absolutely sewered Ron Hextall yesterday. Like to a degree we have not seen in a long time in the NHL. None of our scouts wanted Nolan Patrick. Look, it's easy to rip on someone retroactively and say we wouldn't we didn't want to do this. And it's like, all right, well, where was his voice when it was happening? But if genuinely none of the scouts wanted Nolan Patrick. And that's the direction they moved in regardless. That's on the GM. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. And that's why Hextall isn't in Philly anymore. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's jump into overtime here. Um, 
overtime on this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast, if I can get so many words together, uh, is a Patreon exclusive. So our patrons uh, are the reason we're able to do this show, um, organize, get together, be masochists, glutton for our own punishment, that kind of thing. That's- hey, Lidstrom's back at least. Yeah, yeah, there's that. Um, thank you all so much for your support. It genuinely means the world. And for all of your kind messages, I know a lot of people come out and um, you send a lot of kind words when we have the fundraising campaigns. So that's generally genuinely driven all by you and the incredible Red Wings community. But thank you. So uh, patreon.com slash podcast if you want to support the show. Um, and uh, yeah, I think rather than it going to anything other than like Evan's beanies. Cause apparently you only have one. We'll, uh, we'll hire a comedian maybe to write more self-deprecating jokes for us to read out about ourselves in the future. Um, some questions from Patreon. Kyle Karagitz says you could change one rule in the NHL to create chaos. What would it be? My pick is goaltenders must serve their own penalty. The backup <laughs> must be ready at all times. When the penalty is over, the goalie comes out of the box and joins play or goes to the bench. Is there some rule that says a goalie can't cross half? Yeah. There is, and it's a dumb rule. It should be gone. Um, you know my answer. No. I've talked. Uh, you, you, he said to create chaos. Yeah, it's stupid chaos, but yeah, Brad wants to eliminate the offside rule. Just not reviews. Just get rid of offsides entirely. Yeah. There's one that's not really chaotic, but I actually do like it, is if you score shorthanded, you kill the penalty. That's not chaotic. That's it's, it's common not, sense. That's a good rule. I would is, be in favor of them actually doing that. That's uh, that one. Merrick brings that one yeah. quite a bit. Score you score a shorthanded goal, the penalty's over. Congrats, that's your reward. Bonus. No more goaltender interference. It's not a penalty anymore. <laughs> you can just run them. <laughs> um, not never ending three on three, but I think three on three, then down two and two, then down to one on one. House league tournament rules. Yeah, hell yeah. You can play two goalies, but you ha- can only have four players then. Oh, that's fun with. No goaltender interference. <laughs> Alex Nedeljkovic is going to be paid $10 million from now no, on. You're, you're allowed to hit goalies, but it has to be your own goalie. So if you have a power play, Nedeljkovic just has to come down and run one of the guys out of the crease. <laughs> um, AJ Voss says, this might be an unpopular question, but what makes the Lidstrom hiring different than any other instance where a team has hired a former player in a front office spot? only for it to be seen as an old boys club hiring. I know he's done some scouting for us before, and that timing with family life was a big reason he hadn't done anything like this. Uh, I don't have a problem with the hiring because Nick Lidstrom was my favorite player, and the reason I wanted to be a defenseman growing up, and I trust Stevie and the Illiches to vet candidates. I'm just surprised the public opinion was so positive. Simply put, taking all the bias aside, it's because this particular player's reputation was being the smartest person in every arena he walked into. Also... What's the net negative here is my mind. It's like he's not being – if he was like thrust into the GM role, like let's rewind time and say Lidstrom hired and not Holland or, you know, Steve, you know, Gord forbid, retires tomorrow and they're like, oh, yeah, Lidstrom has a role with no experience. Then you're like, oh, not great. yeah, let's let's dial that back. But it's an advisory role. We're going to make our coach Wayne Gretzky. Hey, that went well in the past, right? Yeah. Where's that team? What's that team doing today? Uh, fighting off relegation. <laughs> yeah, everyone says they want the European style. Um, Kodak Black's date. Also, I should say that's a very fair question from AJ Voss. And, and we did address it a little earlier in the show, but it bears repeating. I think it's very okay to be um, happy on an emotional, sentimental, like nostalgic level. But you're allowed to look at this objectively too. Kodak Black's date says, um, 
Hockey's fun. Which number do you think Edmund or Edvinson was on Detroit's list? <clears throat> Top three, I would guess, just based on what they look for and like to draft. Big physical sp- skating skilled defenseman that would be very high on their list i still maintain that mason mctavish would have been the only player they would have taken over edvinson there power no 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 like power wouldn't have gone there though no yeah i i think their top three probably would have been power power veneers and then i would say mctavish or edvinson would be a toss-up cut well Kent Johnson went right before him. He is the exact opposite style of player they usually take. I was just going to say. Yeah, I, I I think McTavish, the centerman, that's something that they would have loved to have filled. But I, the way they spoke of Edmondson and how excited they were, I and the direct spot, like the direct need that he fills, yeah, I, I think he was 3-4. Um, also, uh, another quick question. With Prime Stevie and Nick Lidstrom on our team, are we a playoff bubble, playoff shoe-in, or cup contender? Playoff shoe-in. Edging on to cup contender. Yeah, closer to making the finals than missing the playoffs. Yeah. Because like, not only are you getting those two talents, but you're pushing, you know, let's say, Smith and we'll say DeKaiser off the roster, right? So it's everybody below them is in a more appropriate slotting one of the greatest players of all time and this is assuming health we have verona in this hypothetical in his prime i honestly think that's close to cup contender two of the greatest players of all time in their primes still looking at the bottom four or five forwards in the bottom couple defensemen <laughs> that being said fully healthy though you know with stetcher verona and those two yeah it's a much different team uh, Jan says on a recent pod, Frege said Phoenix might look for goaltending to be part of the chicken return. Considering Ned's stellar play, would you be comfortable with a Cosa plus for chicken? And what would that plus have to look like to get it done? That's a really interesting question because I personally would be comfortable with that. Wait, what was the, like, would you ask? deal Cosa plus someone else for chicken? I think their ask is way more than that. It, it is. Yeah. That's the plus. Like, Plus, plus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's going to be a big plus. And I think that's part of their question. But I think for the first part of the question is, would you even consider adding Kosa? And for me, I would. But I don't see a world where the Red Wings ever do that based on the draft capital they spent on him. Chikrin has the two most important things going for him in the NHL. Or I'll say the three most important things going for him in the NHL um, involving a trade right now. One, he's really good. Two, he's not that old. And three, he's cost controlled at a great cap hit for many years like those are all you're giving up a premium piece for each of those things is if kosa is one of the pieces yep fine i'm absolutely okay with it kosa i'll pick a lottery protected first in joe valeno that would be about what it would look like yeah i would think i think arizona is going to squeeze the hell out of someone for more <clears throat> probably yeah, yeah. I, I was I was only semi confident. Yeah, it's not heinous. Like it's not uh, you wouldn't you wouldn't offend them with that offer. They they would. I don't know. That's interesting. They would. They might want at least a roster player for Danny DeKaiser. Oh, oh who yeah. says no? Oh yeah, absolutely. Thomas Grace, shoe goalies. Yeah, exactly. So when they change the rule, they're ready. <laughs> <laughs> What's Edmonton going to do in net? Is a question. Alex Stalock has to go through waivers now. Oh, the Ken Holland believes the answer is within the room. So, you know, Stuart, <laughs> Stuart Skinner. 
Connor McDavid thinks he's a hot shit, but I have not seen him make a single save this year. So see Connor McDavid's press conference today. Yeah, that is a broken man. If they sign Evander Kane and he has to deal with that, he is going to demand a trade. I don't think he cares. I think he wants people who are going to win hockey games, and I think he's been surrounded by too many people who don't explicitly. He had do a that. quote today saying Evander Kane is an awesome hockey player, which is true. It is true, but the thing is, like Connor McDavid is the most milk toast, boring ass interview in hockey that's because he's dead inside ryan yeah well when the only thing that brings you joy is that your driveway heats up the snow that's on it and melts it before you have to go out and shovel yeah that, Can that you imagine you <clears throat> played for the end <clears throat> are wow. you all right man rest in wow. peace evan wow um we still have the patreon exclusive he has to go out this. play for the edmonton oilers probably the terrible experience you know plays his heart out and then has to deal with these dumb questions and has to get into his vehicle in the Edmonton winter. And then he gets home and that driveway is clean as can be. That's not bad. That's that's living right there. Dude, that is not bad. When I look outside after a snowstorm and I see my neighbors who are like up at 5 a.m. when it's still snowing and sh- scraping down to the pavement and I look at mine, I'm devastated. I feel like a piece of shit. And now you know the inverse of Con- how Connor McDavid feels. Shoveling at 7 a.m. when it's still snowing is such a rookie move. It is. That's not that's not admirable. That's dumb. <laughs> Let the ice build up. Well, if you're not going to be driving on or off that driveway more than once that whole day, you keep you let it sit there until it's done snowing, and then you take care of it. Uh, Unless it's one of those snowstorms where it's like, yeah, this is going to be four feet by the time I'm by the time the snow's done. So you got to get out there like four times just to minimize the pain on your back. You know what? One thing before we close the podcast, my snowblower is in my backyard. That's far away from your driveway. Yeah, but you can't keep it in the driveway. Oh, yeah, that's where I live, right? So, I've been waiting for a big snowstorm to finally use the one I have, and I'm just gonna literally just go around the neighborhood blowing out everybody's driveway. (laughs) That's all I'm gonna do for like half. Oh, they meant like blowing the snow into their driveway. (laughs) Yeah, that's what he meant. (laughs) I haven't developed any enemies quite yet, but we'll we'll find somebody. Hey, have you heard of? uh, I'll save this for Patreon. No, he's gonna. First one, he's gonna snow blow everybody's driveway, and whoever doesn't say thank you, they're gonna get blown back on the next day. (laughs) One of our neighbors puts out peanuts for the squirrels, who then have Fight Club on top of our uh, on our (laughs) roof. Um, This is right up their alley. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. All right, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. We are going to be back with everyone on Sunday. Uh, thank you all so much for tuning in. Um, thank you all so much for donating to the Wings Money on the Board campaign and benefit of the Jimmy Daniels Foundation. Shout out to Prashant Iyer as well for not only helping organize this whole thing, of course, but um, with that incredible match, the generous donation. Um, all of our listeners, our name level sponsors of this podcast, um, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grant Foundation, Kyle Karagitz, Nick Perks, Brett Bailey, Terry Driver, the number 69 crying Ryan Hannah's Banana Slam Jamathong, Taylor Tadjell, Matthew M. Rice, B. Diz, Carl Brutana Nanaluski, Chimmy, Citizen High Five, CJ Sully, Craig Kibble, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood, Fight Probert, Greach, Hana Lee, Hassam al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Justin and the Angry Mob, Kaylin Wood, King Tone, Kyle Hashman, Matt McKay, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Your Friendly Neighborhood Window Peeper, <laughs> Zach Spring, Zarly Zalapsky, uh, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie. After Tuesday, even the calendar says WTF. Antonio Gracias, Babe Landiscog, Ben Barron, Connor Leighton, Dave W., Eric Sinkowski, 
Evans Tub Bubble Vegetarian Diet Edition, Evans Bingo Card, James Laporte, Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Logan Stahl, Matt Keeler, Matt S, Max $1 million, Pippi Long Nippies, Revy DeLuca, Terry Actual, Trevor Pebavar, Zach Handyside, and Zach McCann, a driving range superstar. Cheers, everyone. Thank you so much, and we'll see you later this week. Ed. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.